Welcome to the Central Seminary Podcast. Thanks for joining us today as we discuss biblical and theological issues relating to life and ministry. This podcast is a ministry of Central Baptist Theological Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota. To learn more about Central Seminary, visit our website at www.centralseminary.edu. My name is Jared, and I'll be your host. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Central Seminary Podcast. Today we have Dr. Josh Steffens with us. He is one of our graduates as well as on adjunct faculty in our biblical counseling program. Josh, welcome. Well, it is really great to be with you, Jared. Uh, it's always a delight to be on the podcast. Yeah, so today we're going to talk about shepherding and shepherding people uh, as a pastor, what that looks like, not just from the pulpit, but maybe a little bit of that as well. Uh, but Josh, before we get into that, maybe you could just share what are some books that you are reading now. And I know in, in correspondence, you mentioned that there was a certain book that kind of spurred the idea for this topic. So maybe you want to talk about that too. Yeah. Uh, one of the books, uh, it, actually, uh, my pastoral team, uh, we're going over together as a, as a team a book that was written by one of my professors at uh, Southern, uh, along with uh, another individual. Uh, his name is Dr. Jeremy Pierre, and uh, Deepak Reju write a book uh, called The Pastor and Counseling. And so it was really kind of uh, the, just the idea, just the continued emphasis on shepherding care. Uh, there was a statement that he made while we were walking through uh, one of the early parts of the book in chapter one, and, and, uh, that really just kind of stirred my heart again. He made this statement. Uh, he said that sometimes, uh, we're more bothered by the thought of people leaving our church than we are by the thought of people hurting in our church. And, uh, that really just, uh, continues to just be the heartbeat, I think of, of our pastoral team here, as it is the heartbeat of many to want to care for your people. Uh, but yet sometimes, uh, it, it uh, gets sidetracked a little bit. Uh, so that's one of the books that's really been kind of stirring my heart recently on shepherding. And then another one uh, that I'm that I'm going through right now, I'm reading through a second time because I just really think it's that good, uh, is uh, Paul Tripp's book called Dangerous Calling, uh, which I thought has been really helpful as well. Yeah, yeah, that, I, I don't read that every year, but it's on my list of books that I should read every year. Um yeah, good. Well, why don't why don't you get us going here with your talk about shepherding, and may, maybe I could just actually start with a, a question because I read that quote that you sent me over email, and I thought to myself at first, well, I, I don't know any pastor <laughs> that would agree with that uh, in theory, um, but maybe you could unpack for us how how you get there or how we might functionally, and maybe it's a matter of dealing with the big things, the explosions, you know, I'm leaving and we haven't walked with people up to that point. Can you, can you help us understand uh, how you get there as maybe a pastor? Yeah, I, I definitely think that in pastoral ministry, one of the things that is unique is that oftentimes when we think about the successes of ministry, um, we, we often connect success with an, um, with a number of people in the congregation 
or a number of people in the pew. And so our mind gets fixated on thinking that I'm doing well as long as that number continues to grow. Mm. Well, you could have a larger number. Uh, You may have a very unhealthy flock if there's not a lot of shepherding care uh, that can go on because people have all kinds of different challenges that they're facing. So I think the first thing I would say is that we really have to get our minds geared as shepherds that success is not determined by quantity, uh, but it's it's determined by the quality of health uh, in the community of believers. And, and that, to me, that's really at least one step forward that I think we really need to make by transitioning our mindset to that. Yeah, and as, as you talk, what came to my mind is another book on my list of ought to read every year books, uh, Liberating, Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome. I think it's R. Kent Hughes. Uh, talks right about what you're saying and just about how numbers aren't everything. And, and we would, most people, most guys would, would acknowledge that, but we kind of get into that function mode of people. And uh, I've heard it said butts in the pew and bucks in the bank. Um, and, you know, we, we, we get off in a rut sometimes, but I think that's so helpful to think about, okay, you might have a church that, is doing well num- numerically, but how are the people? And are they being yeah. shepherded? And are they growing? So yeah, I, I think one of okay. the things that my mind also goes to, Jared, is uh, growing up in and around various churches all my life, um, being out on vacation with my family, and you visit, you know, you visit a church, and up in the uh, on a plaque on on either the right or left side <laughs> is a number. Uh, of last Sunday's attendance uh, that sometimes they would have. So I think historically, sometimes even that would even interplay with the way that people's minds would think about success. And it would make its way into pastoral teams conversations in their staff meetings, uh, you know, on Monday or Tuesday of the following week. And one of the first questions that sometimes is is grappled with is well how many people were here uh and and yet many occasions um i wonder if as much conversation is going on with which people are hurting that need care um and not just about people who are just there uh, on any given sunday or even you think of these stereotypical pastors meetings or conferences and one of the first questions is how how large is your church? How many people do you have at your church? And I know we mean well by saying that, but maybe that shouldn't be the first question we ask. Yeah, I definitely think that transitioning that mindset from uh, kind of that success mentality based upon a numeric value over over to a uh, how am I doing at caring for the flock and individuals within that flock. Um, one of the chapters that really stood out to me as of recent in the in Paul Tripp's book, In Dangerous Calling, uh, one of the chapter title was called Big Theological Brains, But Heart Disease. Mm. And and it was there was a story, he gives an illustration as a professor teaching in the practical theology department. And he had a student, as he was talking with them about shepherding care, make this quote. He said, all right, Professor Tripp, 
we know that we'll have these projects in our churches. Tell us what to do with them so we can get back to the work of the ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do think at times we have to be really, really careful that that we don't fall prey into people being projects. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a good observation. I always, when I was pastoring, I used to tell her people, ministry is people and people are messy. And we got to get used to, to that. And if we want to hide the mess, chances are we're not really going to meet people where they are and help them. And, you know, I, I, I remember, um, I think it was a local pastor in the area when I was in seminary talked about uh, a lady who came on Sunday night, neighbor to the church, and she brought her dog because she had never been in church before and she just felt so uncomfortable she had to have her dog with her in church. And as I remember him talking, the dog didn't cause problems or anything like that, but afterwards he, he heard it from his people. And, uh, Pastor, we, we don't really want those kinds of people, do we? And his answer was, yes, we do, you know, and if it takes bringing her dog to church in order to get her to come hear the gospel, maybe we should be willing to make accommodation for that. Yeah, and I do think as we make that transition, even how we, I think one of the steps is um, making sure that we're defining success right, but uh, another step is how we view people in our congregation as shepherds and under shepherds of the, of the, of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Because I think when we begin to look at people, and I think Paul Tripp's in, in this book brings up such a, uh, an important concept, because I think in many ways, uh, many seminary students go into ministry and they have that perspective is our task and our job is to dispense theological, uh, you know, ideas and things from the pulpit. But, and of course that's true, but it also brings that theology to precise application to people's struggles and suffering in ways. And the, the pastor has to do that kind of shepherding with a mindset that when he sees hurting people, that these are, these are image bearers of God and these are people who are hurting and suffering that Jesus really loves he realizes to sanctify them, and he's gracing you with the opportunity to be part of that journey for that individual as he does the work of sanctifying them. And that's very energizing, honestly, as a pastor when you're doing that work, uh, very energizing. Yeah. So I think that leads us into uh, the biblical view of, of the shepherding ministry. Can you talk about that for us? Yeah, one of the things that, you know, as I've been reading the Gospels and you and you look and you and you have these mindset that it gives to us, uh, primarily you think, you know, my mind, one of the passages my mind goes to is in John 10, uh, when it talks about Jesus as the good shepherd, because even pastors are under shepherds of the great shepherd. And, and John 10 makes that remarkable statement uh, when he says, the sheep hear my, hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they won't follow, but they will flee from him for they don't know the voice of strangers. And I just think when we think about shepherding uh, as under shepherds, 
our people have 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 put themselves under the care of a particular shepherd and they begin to trust him the way the sheep trust the good shepherd and one of the ways that you you model that kind of shepherding ministry is to is to be truth filled which means you do have to exposit the truth you do have to be faithful in that regard from the pulpit and then you also have to uh, help them realize that you care to lead them uh, in a way that they can they hear your voice and they're not afraid to come to you after a sermon and say that was very convicting I really need some more help and then you end up meeting them on a separate occasion either informally or formally trying to lead them as a good shepherd I think Jesus modeled that in his earthly in his earthly ministry. And, uh, you know, I'm always saying to my students is, and I just taught a class on the local church and counseling, and I will always make as many professors have made to their students, good shepherds smell like the sheep. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that is so critical because Jesus was with and among and desirous to care for people who were suffering. It marked his ministry as something that was very, very unique. Yeah, good. So what, what's really at stake when we talk about shepherding and the church, shepherding ministry from a pastoral perspective? What's really at stake in the shepherding ministry here? Yeah, I, I think when uh, over the years as I've been doing counseling, there's been, you know, sad situations where all of a sudden you realize that someone, one, what one of the things I would say is at stake is your personal call to ministry was not just a call to theological understanding. It was a call to care for people. Mm-hmm. So if all of a sudden you, you know, you're with a group of people, if pastors are together, uh, we shouldn't lament, oh, ministry would be so great if it wasn't for these people. Uh, people are one of the best parts of shepherding ministry. They're the people in whom have been indwelt by the living God. They're the people who continue to be sanctified. Uh, there's something joyous when you see God at work in people. I think that's at stake, where we lose a vibrancy of the reason why we do what we do as shepherds. Um, when I get up in the pulpit, um, you know, it comes from spending time with people in a shepherding setting, and I'm going up to the pulpit having and, and, and prepared on. Uh, during a week, having set aside time for personal preparation. Yet my mind is also thinking, I've got people who I'm caring for that this text has to encourage, bring hope to, instruct um, in all of those ways. And so I think one of the things at stake is we lose a sense of vibrancy about why we're doing what we're doing. And these are, these are, God's, these are God's children. These are God's people. Uh, they're, they're his sheep. He is, in a sense, allowed us the responsibility of caring for his sheep, and we and when we want to care for him well, uh, and so I think that's one of the things at stake. I think another thing that's at stake when we don't put attention to that is that, and I've heard this in many occasions in different settings, that all of a sudden when a pastor doesn't give time to do shepherding care, that whether it's a time constraint or whether it's personal desire. Uh, or even whether he says, well, this is just not a strength or, or uh, a gift of mine. Uh, I have the gift of preaching, not the gift of shepherding. 
Uh, and I think you, they're kind of go together. Uh, and so I think partly what's at stake is if, if you're in those situations, I've seen uh, people send their sheep out to other individuals and other entities and even entities that are giving another uh, a, an unbiblical worldview that then their sheep are going out to getting influenced by a different voice that they say this is the problem when it's not viewed in a spiritual sense. And then they're coming back to the flock and they're dispensing that within the flock. And it it may be not a very accurate view of sanctification. And so what's at stake is if we don't take time to care for our people, they're going to go out and get care from somebody when they're hurting, and they may not go to someone who's actually going to give them the truth. I think that's a huge thing at stake um, when we're doing pastoral ministry. Yeah, right. I uh, I heard a, a pastor say uh, who who didn't really he didn't really have people in his home, wasn't really great at that, and told me that he didn't have the gift of hospitality. And <laughs> I was thinking, well. <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't be in ministry then. I mean, that's just that's just part of it. If you can be, not that you have to have people only in your home, but the whole friend to strangers being available to people, uh, that that's that's so important. But I, I'm curious, maybe you could help us understand or think through a process. Uh, you know, just thinking of many of the churches I know in Minnesota, here smaller churches, one pastor. Uh, he does a lot, you know, does everything, not necessarily even because he's a control freak, but just because uh, someone has to do it. How do you carve out time and and balance the, the shepherding thing when you might have a ministry structure where you're, you're the sole preacher and you're preaching, you know, uh, 50 out of 52 Sundays, you know, save two weeks for vacation or something like that. You know, you have a very heavy preaching load. You're teaching Sunday school. You're doing administration stuff. How do you ensure that you save time or make time for shepherding? And what does that look like? Yeah, you know, I, I had such a privilege to be, uh, you know, lead pastor in a church that was a smaller church as well. And I would describe it very much like what you described and and trying to balance the hard work of ministry and the rigors of all the things that have to go on in the life of a small church. Um, and so I, I think one of the things that we have to remember, one, even as uh, if you're pastoring a, a smaller church is, you know, God did not call you to do this for everyone that you come across, but he has called you for sure to do it for the people within your congregation. And so I think that does mean that you're going to have to figure out if shepherding is such an important aspect to your ministry, um, that you've got to carve out some time for this to be allocated within your schedule because it's that important. There's so much at stake if you, if you don't take time to do this. Um, I don't think, you know, I think every time or every pastor's capacity of being able to do that, um, you know, I think early on in ministry as I was learning how to preach every Sunday, praise God, you do get faster at the process, but on the, on the early side of it, you might be there going, it's taking me this amount of time. Uh, 
um, you have to carve out some time. I think one of the better ways that I have been able to do that is to set aside whether it's a half a day that I'm going to focus on shepherding care and communicate to the body. Uh, hey, I want to be available. Here's one of, here's one of the days that I'm going to set aside for this. I was, I was very thankful for the people in my congregation and still are for the ones that I'm shepherding now who does, who are desirous to get help and are willing to accommodate when I'm setting that time for shepherding care aside. And I do think we have to compartmentalize. I, I, I did it the other way where I tried to sprinkle it through the whole week. And I don't know if that was as successful or helpful. Okay. It, it always brought a level of pressure to another situation. So I've really found it helpful to kind of mark a certain amount of time, whatever that time is for you, communicate that, try to put those informal times that you're going to meet together, but be deliberate about it. Be intentional about people who are hurting. Um, and, and that's one of the ways that I think that a smaller church pastor can realize, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take and help people. Um, but I can only fit so many in and God recognizes that you have limitations, but he is pleased when you're just trying to take one little step, trying to help one other person and shepherd them in that way. I think that's a good way to kind of think about it. And as, as God gives you more opportunity, um, you might have more in one week than another. You can fit those in. Um, and then the second thing I would say about that, Jared, is really work hard, even if you're a small church pastor, to train people to care for one another. Yeah. Um, get good books in their hand, like uh, Stuart, Stuart Scott just came out with a small devotional book, The 31 Ways of One Anothering. Uh, Ed Welch writes a book called Side by Side. Yeah. And um, train your people how to care for one another so that you begin to start developing a small nucleus of people who you are comfortable with as a pastor to offload some of that because you know you've trained them and they're going to give them godly biblical advice that comes from the truth. Uh, and, and that's going to really uh, be a blessing to you as a pastor versus bring you the pressure of being the guy who has to do everything. And this is just one more thing yeah. um, because people do, it, they are going to take time but it's important for us to take the time for them. Yeah, I, th I think that's so important, kind of a Second Timothy model of train faithful men who will train others also and kind of passing that along. Um, maybe if I could <laughs> kind of pick your brain a little bit, I'm curious, when you set aside that time for shepherding, uh, what, what does that look like specifically? Because there's different types of shepherding. You have the coffee shop Bible study where maybe you're going through a verse-by-verse -verse study with one or two or three individuals. You have the home visits where you're doing a maybe more of what you would call a shepherding visit and trying to shepherd the family. And then you have... Uh, what what is you know your training in the, the biblical counseling? You know you're a, a fellow or working towards being a fellow with ACBC. Your your doctorate in biblical counseling. Uh, those are different types of shepherding. So how do you pick and choose or balance uh, you know those things in ministry? Yeah, I think for me, uh, partly because uh, of of my background in training. Um, one of the things that I'm doing on, and this is currently in my own schedule right now, my Mondays are kind of my counseling day. And so I will look at that particular day 
and I will try to determine, okay, how how many counseling is counselees is it wise to have? How many people can I shepherd that day, and without being overwhelmed, and and to care for as many people as I can? That's going to look a little bit different for each pastor. Um, I set aside that, so I'm generally doing uh, about four to five um, individuals on a particular day. Now, those situations are um, are situations where people have reached out with a particular situation that they are desirous to get help in, and so it's going to be it's going to be a little bit more formal um, than others. But uh, so that's kind of what my Mondays look like, where I'm setting that that kind of carved out time to care for those individuals. And, and then on, and then I also during the week try to set aside some time, just a, a slot of time where I can do some informal things where I can go out to a coffee shop. It's not so much of a, Hey, this is a crisis component, mm-hmm. but I'd really like to just, I, I, I'm struggling with this and I don't know really where to go. Uh, I want to get, and I'm willing to to put the work in there and I want to get to the scripture and, and they want some advice on those things. And so I want to also set aside some time. So I just look at my schedule and I try to figure out, okay, what, what's a reasonable amount of individuals that I could open my schedule to do that with, and then also be responsible with the preaching task and duty of being diligent in the word as well. And, and so I think that will fluctuate some weeks um, but for your average pastor, you've got to think to yourself, I've got to open a few slots, um, you know, for my people to be able to come and say, Hey, I've got a few, like, I've got some questions. And so it's okay for you as a pastor to, to kind of carve out those times and schedule people out. And I'm always scheduling people out two, three weeks, a month out, um, and that way I can try to get as many people as I can, but I also have a limit saying up oh, this week, I've really meet, uh, I've met that capacity of where all those slots are filled. Um, and so that I'm trying to be a wise steward of my time and, and the responsibility of, of all the ministry tasks that God's given to me as well. Yeah, good, good. That's, that's very helpful. How do you handle the, uh, the anonymous meeting pastor? Can we meet sometime this week? <laughs> yeah, one of the ways that I I try to mitigate that a little bit is um, I really work hard at it when someone comes to me like that. I'll really try to ask a follow up question. Also, for two reasons: one, I don't want my mind to go to places that it shouldn't go, thinking that there's a conversation that is going to ensue from this individual when it's really just a fear or anxiety wondering what are they going to say to me? What other challenge is going to, is going on that I don't know about. So one of the things I do immediately when somebody asks me that is I need you to tell me a a little, I need you to give me a little brief understanding of what this, what you'd like to meet with me about so that I can determine uh, what priority level that is. If this is like a big need and this is something that I need to meet, I want to try to carve out and set aside time and that might mean I add a slot because this is something really important going on. Now, of course, that brings up a challenge. Every challenge is an important challenge, but we, we're, we're in ministry. We're balancing many challenges at the same time. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's really helpful. Uh, how, I'm curious, furthermore, um, how do you handle 
someone whose schedule doesn't mesh with your time slots, do you ever change it up on a certain week so that you can have different times? Or uh, how, how accommodating do you try to be with people? Well, yeah, I mean, there's always a challenge. People will come to me at various times and say, uh, I really need your help. And Sundays, Sunday afternoons are what work for me. <laughs> uh, or, you know, when, you know, Tuesday night, that's the night that I have free. Um, and what I, and one of the advantages of setting aside a time, like for example, a Monday that I'm opening slots up mm-hmm. is they know that I'm legitimately taking time to care for people. And I'm, and I'm carving out those moments to care for people in moments like that. And so I can say to them, well, uh, I, I recognize that that's a little bit of a, a, a difficulty. Um, and so I'll try to be as accommodating on my Monday as I can be if it's morning or evening. Um, but I really have to stick with that particular time frame that I've carved uh, aside. And here's what I found. I think sometimes we're afraid that people will say, oh, man, you don't love me. Um, but more times than not, what I've found is that when people are desirous to get help, much like what they do if they have to go to the doctor or to the dentist or to any particular other venue. I don't know people who tell the dentist when they're going to get their teeth done or tell the doctor when they're going to come in. And when it when they can get on that schedule, then they're willing to be patient. And God's people are really gracious people. It, when they know that you're you're trying to set that time aside, I have found that people have been really gracious and accommodating to that, knowing that I'm helping other people. They know that they're not the only one, and and so I I will I will kind of help them realize, okay, here's some ones on that might be able to work. But if you want help, this is going to take a bit of a sacrifice for you to carve out that time as well. And if that means you have to readjust some things, you may have to do that. Okay. Good. So what are some things that you see that keep pastors from wanting to care for their sheep? Yeah, I think probably the number one thing when it comes to shepherding ministry that you'll hear many pastors say, especially pastors in a, in a smaller church, because there is a weight that settles on the shoulders of a pastor who's, who's responsive. He's the only pastor on staff uh, is time. Um, and that can be an excuse, but it's also a legitimate constraint as well. And so I think, you know, as we've been talking about this, just in and around this topic of shepherding, I think we each pastor has to legitimately come to an understanding of what amount of time can I can I use toward this or give toward shepherding ministry um, so that I'm not making an excuse saying, well, I don't have the time for that. Um, even I even try to honestly make sure that my people don't think that I'm so busy as a pastor that I don't have time for them. Even when they say things like, oh, well, how did your week go? If I were to constantly say, oh, it's just crazy busy and there's just one thing after another. If I communicate that over time, what, I'm, what happens is people's responses well, I wasn't sure if I really should uh, give you a call because I just know how busy you are and I didn't want to be a burden to you. So we got to do that personally in our conversations to communicate that when people are need care, that 
we're willing to set aside where we've carved out times. We have time for them. So I think on personal conversations, you can do that. Uh, and I think on the, uh, on the other side of it is carve out time in your schedule. Take a look at your overall work week and say, okay, what portion of this week needs to be given towards, um, you know, study for sermon preparation so that you're being a good steward there. Uh, and what I found helpful is I kind of break it into the three categories of pastoral ministry when you're thinking about preaching, administrating, and shepherding. Mm. And I look at my overall week schedule and I think these three things are probably going to have to happen at some level. So what amount of that percentage needs to go to preaching? What amount of that pre- uh, preparation needs to, to go into administrating so that we're thinking and we're having vision and we're, we're, we're being mindful of how we do ministry? And then what part of that time is going to be given towards uh, shepherding care? And, 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 that, and so I think making that deliberate effort to look at those three important facets of pastoral ministry will then help you realize oh my goodness, I'm not even carving out time to do shepherding ministry because time is really a huge constraint for the for for many small church pastors, but it's also a, a constraint for many larger church pastors. Yeah, great. Yeah, and I think kind of just to add to what you're saying, I think one of the things that keeps pastors from caring the way they ought is just the uh, a misunderstanding of the shepherding ministry and responsibilities there and you know there are, there are different there are other perspectives and you know I've heard certain popular preachers even say that you know uh, past uh, people lock your pastor in his office and you know put put a sign on the door that says study and you know uh, but the the forty hour a week studier isn't going to know his people very well. You know the guy who who spends his uh, or the most of his time and entirety of his time even in his office locked away with Greek and Hebrew, he's not going to be a great shepherd. And so we're not we're not saying to throw out the expositional preaching and the time for study, that's significant as well, but that can't be the only uh, shepherding ministry you do f- from from the pulpit. And I think, Josh, Absolutely. you and I were even talking about that before we started, about we've all heard uh, pastors say, well, I did my counseling from the pulpit. Well, yeah, but <laughs> it doesn't always work that way. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree. And I would and I would argue, you know, if you're a pastor, uh, if you're a pastor of any church and you're listening to this podcast, I would argue that your preaching and your exposition and your Bible study will be enhanced by shepherding regularly with your people mm-hmm. uh, in a way that will make even your preaching even more vibrant because they recognize he's there to help me. You will even be able to say things. They know when you say hard things and, and things that God wants us to declare from the pulpit that you're doing it out of love because they know you beyond that setting behind the pulpit. So I really think in that mindset, um, it will enhance. I, I've heard many, many pastors who are doing shepherding uh, ministry on a regular basis, and every single one of them would say to me, man, this has enhanced 
my uh, preaching ability mm-hmm. uh, because you're starting to think, how do I apply this? What are the questions that need to be asked? What are the soul searching components that I really want my people's hearts to to think about, reflect on, meditate over um, as they're going through their week? And and your people will be really appreciative of the time that you take and it will enhance everything. Uh, I've heard that on so many occasions and I've found that true to be uh, true to be as well personally. Yeah, I've I've experienced that as well. If I was focusing on counseling type work, whether it be actually sitting in a counseling room with people or preparing uh, by by reading, uh, you know, a counseling book on say whatever anger or whatever, I would find that that very Sunday, my time in the pulpit, I felt like it instantly became more practical and relational with the people. And I could, could definitely see a link there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I am, I love coming to passages, you know, where we see Jesus care for people. And one of those passages that, that I really, uh, I really think is amazing is when Jesus was with his disciples and he comes to the man who was born blind. And as they passed by him in John nine, the disciples asked when they saw this man who was blind from birth and they asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus's response is so incredible. And he says, it was not this man, this, this, uh, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, it was, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Uh, and I think that that is both justification and sanctification. Because this man was brought before the Pharisees, they drag him in, and then he asked the question to the Pharisees, well, do you want to be his disciples? And and at the end, Jesus comes back to him because he had yet to see who Jesus was. And and this man, he, he puts his faith in Jesus. His life was transformed by justification, and it continued to be transformed in sanctification so that the the glory of God and the works of God could be displayed through them. When we see the people who are suffering and hurting and need care, remember as a pastor, God wants to put his work on display. How does he do that? Through the lives of people who have been indwelt by the spirit of God. And that sanctification starts to permeate the life of the body and they and and this is what will generally happen when you're doing shepherding care. Another person who came to you for help will tell another person in your congregation, mm-hmm. "You really need to go to pastor. Like he's going to care for you. Yeah. He's going to bring you to the truth. He's going to take time for you. He's going to be gracious with you." And and through that your people begin to learn you're desirous for them to have the works of God of sanctification in their life be shown and displayed in the life of the community. That's a really powerful element. Yeah, good. So maybe you can answer one final question here, something that you you brought up in the document you sent me. What do you do if uh, another shepherd's sheep don't want to listen to their shepherd or don't want to get help from their shepherd for whatever reason, and they come to you? How do you handle those types of things? Yeah, I, I really try to be careful in this regard, when I know I have another another shepherd sheep that are desirous um, 
uh, to get some help. Um, two, two things come to my mind. One, I don't want to jump to a conclusion about an assumption about another shepherd's work. Mm-hmm. Be really careful just because some other sheep comes to you for help that you don't immediately assume that the, the other shepherd's doing a bad job. Uh, you know, love is believes all things. And, you know, here's another brother, a minister of the gospel. Um, and, and there are many reasons, one of which is often the case, is people want anonymity. They, they don't want to have to have their problems be known. And, and I'll even get this still as people come in for shepherding care. Uh, they'll, they'll ask me this question. Isn't it going to be weird when I see you on Sunday now because you know all this stuff about me? Uh, they come with that kind of reservation right off the bat. And so there are reasons sometimes where they don't really realize that God put their their shepherd there. and their shepherd may be desirous to care for them, but they're but they've never gone to him in in order to see care. And he he may give them some really good biblical counsel and biblical shepherding. And so sometimes they don't do that because they just want to stay anonymous. Um, I really try to work hard at helping that individual then say, we need to include their shepherd in the process along the way, even if I'm helping them. Um, uh, and, and maybe their pastor said, Maybe their pastor even lined up for them to come with me because they didn't know how to handle that situation. I want to invite that shepherd to come in to the, to, the, to the counseling room with me so that now he's learning how to shepherd his people better. And now the next time a situation comes up like that, he is then able to say, hey, I can help you because now he's, he's been... Uh, given some exposure to how to handle a situation. So I do do a lot of effort to try to involve the, uh, the shepherd that is responsible for that individual soul and is, is supposed to care for them in the process as much as I can. Yeah, that's, that's good. And that's, that's kind of how I handle those situations. I had a few of them and I always, it, like it usually came by email, you know, request for counseling. And I had a, st- a standard email written that I would send back to everybody. And I just, I just put in there, you know, I will contact your pastor to let him know that we reached out and this is not to dig up any dirt on you or whatever. This is just to let him know. And then I would write that pastor. If I knew him personally, I would call him up and say, Hey, these people are coming to me. And in, uh, in some cases it was, uh, yeah, I tried to help them and they didn't, it just didn't go well for whatever reason. If you can help them, great. Uh, or in one situation, uh, the individuals were like, Oh, I never even thought about asking my pastor. I I guess I could have done that. And we, you know, we, we kind of went back and forth about that for a little bit, but I think it's, it's really important that you let the pastor know. Uh, and even for that matter, if, you know, if someone from the church across town shows up at your church on Sunday, uh, it's really important. I always tried to have those conversations. You know, I, I kept a good enough relationship with the pastors of the other gospel preaching churches in the area that I could text them and say, hey, just want to let you know so-and-so was in church on Sunday. And sometimes it was like, oh, yeah, they, they like to go visit a church once a year, a different church just to see it. And other times it was like, yeah, we're having some issues there. Uh, those things are so important just to keep that good communication. Uh, we, we want to help other churches, uh, but we don't also, we also don't want to get involved in drama 
and uh, cause more drama for for a pastor. So I think it's important just to be open and honest. We're not trying to poach your people, but are you okay if I want to help them? And, you know, let let that pastor, let their pastor take the lead and, and do what you can. Yeah. And, and I would just say, you know, and, and I know as we're closing up this podcast, just to remind those who have been called to pastoral and shepherding care kind of ministry, the mindset of the Apostle Paul, because it is a hard work and you are balancing many, many things in pastoral ministry. But my heart and my mind goes to Colossians 2, where where the Apostle Paul says, he says to them, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not even seen me face to face, that their hearts might be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And it will be a struggle. It will take your energy, but it is a worthwhile task to care for people in shepherding care ministry as a pastor. Well, thanks for that admonition, Josh. Uh, Before we close, do you have any works of God that you just want to share and give praise to him today? Yeah, it's really just been, uh, I think, just a delight to see, uh, because we're talking about shepherding care, um, just to watch the the spirit of God continue to transform lives. You know, as I said, my Mondays are, are, are filled with, uh, you know, people that I'm doing shepherd and care with. And it is just such an encouragement and it just invigorates my soul to watch God do what I could never do. And just to sit back in awe of the spirit's ability to convict, to bring truth, uh, and to guide people into an assurance, growth, uh, just excitement, uh, hope in, in the Lord again. Uh, I'm just watching it happen on an, on a regular basis. And it's just, this is not possible. Uh, if it, if it wasn't for, for, for Jesus doing what he did for us, dying on the cross, sending his spirit to indwell us. And it's just, it's, it's just really remarkable. And I just praise him for it every week. Hmm. Well, thanks for sharing that, and thanks for taking time to talk with us today. Appreciate it. Um, delighted to delighted to do it, Jared. Thank you so much for having me. Next time on the Central Seminary Podcast. But he actually coined the idea of gender identity. They viewed it as an action, not an identity. They did not have one word that was cover what we think of a semantic range for, again, homosexual. The secular world wants to keep all of their systems intact. This whole idea of action and behavior began to define the individual as an individual themselves. What do you think causes this angst? This was something that was very personal because I would counsel people. That was considered A, very normal, and B, somewhat expected at different stages in their life. Just wait for nature to show us. That is not how the majority of the world has seen that idea. They've seen it as a behavior. But our topic today is uh, quite the topic. When you have a gender reveal party, yet there's no such thing as gender. Look for our next episode on the Central Seminary Podcast.
Thanks for listening to the Central Seminary Podcast. Our mission at Central Seminary is to assist New Testament churches in equipping spiritual leaders for Christ-exalting biblical ministry. Since its founding in 1956, Central Seminary has sought to provide serious students of God's Word with robust theological education as they prepare for ministry. We have many graduates around the world who are serving in countless ways to spread the gospel and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Find out more at our website, centralseminary.edu.